morning, everyone. It's time for us to begin this morning. We'd like to welcome everyone to the services here at West Irwin. And we'd like to say if you're visiting with us, we appreciate you being here this morning. For our first song this morning will be number 167, Hosanna. Let's all stand as we sing this first song. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. take a minute to update everyone on where we stand with our uh, youth minister search. Um, so we've got a committee that's made up of 13 people. So that's six couples um, along with the staff member. And those six couples are uh, Kayla and myself, um, David and Marla Canifax, Chad and Amber Chauncey, uh, Donnie Cook is the staff member, Kelly and Heather Monahan, Jonathan and Laurie Stone, and Randy and Stacy Turner. Um, I think it's important that the first first meeting that we had as a committee, um, we talked about um, our commitment and our commitment to each other as a committee, our commitment to this church, um, obviously our commitment to God, um, our commitment to our current youth group that we were going to be here to support them when we don't have a paid full-time person. Um, <clears throat> And also just a uh, commitment to the future person that comes here, um, that we were dedicated to this process and that we weren't going to, you know, just jump and run after we, after we tried this for, you know, a couple months and couldn't find anyone. So we all committed to each other and we all agreed that if we couldn't say that, that we would get off the committee um, on the front end just because it, it wouldn't be good for the committee or this church for us to, to have that perception. So 
Um, it's been difficult, um, which is not, it wasn't a surprise to us. Um, I think we kind of understood with everything going on, it's, um, it's just been difficult. Um, we did come up with a job description after meeting several times. We talked amongst each other. We talked to other, um, other people in the ministry about what their thoughts and ideas were on, on what, what we should be looking for. We talked to our youth group, our current youth group, to find out you know, what was important to them, what they wanted, what they didn't want, um, and put together a job description. Since then, we've taken that job description and um, sent it out to several people in ministry, um, talked to several youth ministers um, about the possibility of them coming here. Um, it's just, it's been difficult. Um, with everything going on in our world, it's just, it's hard to find uh, people that are willing to step out and, and just move their families across, um, across the state or across the country or across to a different city um, with everything going on. And, and we've, we've kind of figured that out, although we kind of knew that um, going in. So we are not discouraged as a committee, and we're asking as a church that you guys don't think we're discouraged and that you guys don't get discouraged. Um, but we do have a, a job description, like I said, and if, if you've got people that, um, that you think might be a good fit for this or that you want us to talk to, we definitely want you to give us those names and we want you to, to reach out to us or have these um, you know, potential people reach out to us. Um, you can give us their names or, or whatever. Um, we're interested. So um, if, you know, if there's a different way that you think we should be marketing, we're open to that. And we're open to, to discussing that and, and, you know, if there's a, just a different way, we've reached out to colleges and universities um, to get their feel. And, again, everybody we reached out to said it's going to be difficult. Um, and, and we're okay with that. So um, that's kind of what we've done and kind of the direction that we're going. So let me um, – I want to switch gears here for a second and talk about um, what we're doing currently. Um, today in Bill's class, he said, um, and on his handout, he said, saying yes to something on which you spend your time, physical and emotional energy, thoughts, etc., means saying no to something else. Um, and I thought that that was pretty fitting because without having a full-time minister, um, a lot of people have had to step up and, um, you know, take on a lot of responsibility with our youth. Two people in particular that have have stepped up more than the rest of us have um, are Kelly Monahan and Chad Chauncey. And um, I personally appreciate them. I know our committee appreciates them. I know that our, our youth um, that are involved appreciates the, what they've done because um, they've stepped up and said yes, and therefore they've had to say no to some other stuff. And they've got a lot of time, um, effort, and energy put into that. So if you're in the 6th through 12th grade and you don't know those two guys, uh, you're missing out. And if you're a parent of one of those teens and you don't know those two guys, you're missing out because they're great, great people, great people for this church. If you go to this church and you don't know them, uh, you need to because they're, they're two of my best friends and um, they've carried us a long way uh, when they didn't have to. Um, so I'm asking for all 6th through 12th graders, um, if you're not involved with our youth stuff, you need to be. Um, we, we've got stuff going on, and, and just because we don't have a full-time minister does not mean that we do not have um, stuff going on. Uh, we need teens. We need parents of teens. We need uh, people to be involved. We're here on Wednesday nights. We're here on Sundays. Uh, we schedule events throughout the week. We're here on Fridays. We're, you know, Saturday nights, uh, Sunday afternoon devos, all that kind of stuff. So um, just, you know, we talked about it from the committee, just getting the perfect, if we find the perfect minister uh, for this church and he starts here tomorrow, there, there's no magic bullet with that. Um, that doesn't mean we have 100 kids here just because we've got the perfect guy. He, he's going to need support from the teens, he's going to need support from this church, and he's going to need support uh, from the teens' parents and, and people getting involved and not just sitting on the sidelines. So um, I want to challenge everyone to, to get off the sidelines and to get involved and not just sit back and wait for, uh, for us to find this, this person uh, when that shows up. So um, just to list a few things that we've got scheduled right now. Um, so today, after worship, the youth group is meeting at Posados over on Gentry. 
and uh, they're going to uh, eat together and have a, a short Devo there. Uh, next Sunday is the Super Bowl, so we're going to have a Super Bowl party here at the church. And the Super Bowl party is not limited to just youth. So youth, families, it'll be in the Family Life Center and in the Lighthouse, and so we'll have a lot of stuff um, going on there. So if you don't have a place to watch the Super Bowl and you want to come hang out, um, bring your families, bring uh, whoever you want. Um, we do have a sign-up sheet in the foyer just because we need to know how much uh, food and that kind of stuff uh, to prepare. So please sign up if you plan on doing that. Um, February the 19th through the 21st, we're going to do a youth retreat um, in Lone Star, uh, Texas, at the at the campgrounds there or at the at the retreat center there. So it'll be a, a Friday night through uh, Sunday at lunch deal. Um, so again, get with one of the youth uh, committee members, get with Kelly or Chad or somebody. We can give you more details. And then March 6th through 8th. Um, they're going to do a camping trip up in Arkansas. So they're going to drive to Arkansas and uh, hike up in the mountains and, and spend a couple days up there. So, um, again, we've got stuff going on. So I don't want the perception to be just because we don't have a full-time minister that we don't have stuff going on. We're, we're still active, and we still feel really good about, about where we're at. We just need a, a guy and a family to, to join us and help us continue what we're doing. So if you've got questions or, or concerns or comments, um, I encourage you to reach out to the to the committee because um, we're the ones directly dealing with this. And so, um, if you think you know we could do something a different way, or you've got an idea, or you want to discuss anything, um, any of the committee members are, are more than happy to to talk about um, whatever you want to talk about. So, um, we ask for your prayers for the committee. Um, you know that we make a good decision that we try to find this this right person. And uh, also for the, for the person that we hire, we ask that you, you guys be in prayer for that and, uh, and also for patience because, again, it's not going to be a short process and the committee's comfortable with that and Chad and Kelly are also, they say they're comfortable with that, so I guess, I guess they are. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Cody, for uh, that update. Uh, so you can tell that they're... We're, we're involved with this. And uh, in the meantime, the, the youth group is really not lacking because of the people that are willing to, to step up, as, as he, Cody mentioned, and, and uh, fill the void right here. There are a lot of activities going on, and uh, we certainly appreciate the, the search committee and each, each member. And as he said, we do, <coughs> we do uh, uh, solicit, solicit your prayers for them individually and, and as collectively as a group. Uh, a couple updates. Uh, the memorial service for Corbin Steifer will be uh, Saturday the 13th at 2 p.m. I think the, the time wasn't determined earlier in the announcement or in the app, but uh, it will be at 2 p.m. on that Saturday. And also... Uh, Stan Clark is back in the hospital and will probably have a second surgery uh, tomorrow, Monday. So we need to remember them in our prayers also. Uh, I think I uh, commented to Debbie this morning about our, our uh, death list on the announcement sheet is longer than our sick list. You know, it's, it's a trying time. And uh, I'd like to read a couple of scriptures this morning, uh, actually three, uh, two of them from Isaiah and one from First uh, Corinthians. These are Isaiah is from chapter fifty-five. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. It's not a scripture of condemnation so much as it is gives us an insight on, on God and his willingness to forgive if, if we correct our, our ways. Then uh, in Psalm uh, Isaiah uh, 55, verse 22, Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, and he will never let the righteous be forsaken. You know, what hope we have in that one scripture. And then in 2 Corinthians, so fix your eyes on what is seen and not on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary 
and what is seen is eternal. We have to keep things in perspective, especially in this day and time, that uh, where our hope is and, and what we're striving for. It's not striving to avoid the COVID. It's striving to, to make heaven our home. So we need to remember that. Um, I'd like to welcome the visitors. As, as uh, Gary said, if you're uh, part of the worship service online, you're, you're welcome to. Uh, we're glad to glad that everybody can be a part in some way of this service today. I would like to uh, begin uh, service with a prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today uh, with a spirit of thanksgiving for the day that you blessed us with, for the blessings that, uh, that you've given us that allow us to come together as a church, collectively as a group, to to worship you and to uh, edify one another and to strengthen our spiritual sides. Father, we have many uh, today that are, are in sorrow from deaths in their families or their friends. Uh, we're mindful of the Mallories and the Sandovals and the Carnathans and the Portwoods, the Hickeys and the Lees and Road families and the Philpots. Father, we we all know that they've lost someone close to them this, this past week, and we pray that you will comfort those families and, and keep them uh, close to you and, and extend your comforting hand to them. Father, we ask for a special blessing upon the Stifer family as they uh, have uh, Corbin's memorial upcoming in the next uh, few days. We pray that you will let them uh, celebrate the life that he had at the memorial and that they will uh, be comforted by the those attending that. Father, we have uh, many on our, our sick list as well. We, we pray especially for Debbie Jones and her continuing uh, pre-treatment, pre-surgery treatment and for her upcoming surgery, that things will go well with her. For Fred Wingate and his continuing treatment, we, we pray for Stan, uh, Fred. We pray also for Stan Clark. Uh, Father, we realize that he's had complications from his back surgery and we pray that uh, the procedures that they perform tomorrow will be beneficial to him that it will help him uh, relieve his pain and, and uh, cure those things that uh, went awry in the first surgery father we are thankful for our search committee uh, for each member on it and we pray for them individually and collectively that they will uh Stay steadfast in the search that you will give them uh, encouragement and that you will uh, bring the right uh, man to, to them for them to evaluate and hopefully uh, that we will hire here at West Irwin. Father, we are thankful for our youth group, for uh, each one of them. We, we pray that uh, you will be with them uh, in this interim period. We're, we're thankful that we have... Uh, families that that will uh, step up to the plate and and to carry on with activities and things that will bring the youth group closer together and that will will help them in their spiritual walk father we pray that you'll be with those that are are more involved with with these things we're especially mindful of the chauncey's and uh for uh, kelly and and heather monahan's we pray that you'll be with them as they continue to uh, spend time and effort in having activities and teaching classes for for the youth father we pray for our country we know that uh, there's so much turmoil and unrest at the moment uh, we we pray that you'll be with us as, as a country that we might turn back to you that we will uh, have the morals of, of the country that we once had but, Father, we, we realize that you are in control of things and that we can always rely upon you to, to watch out, watch over your, your people, your, your children. Father, we're thankful that we can be called your children, that you do love us and that you showed that love by allowing Christ to die for us. Father, uh, please be with West Irwin as a congregation. We pray that you will help us to grow spiritually and, and numerically that uh, we will have a renewed spirit and a renewed dedication for the the work here in Tyler and the work uh, around the world that we're a part of. 
We pray for that you will give us a more Christ-like spirit than, than we've had. We pray that we will strive to do things that exemplify Christ in our lives. Father, we ask for your uh, guidance upon the eldership as a whole and upon each individual elder and their wives as, Father, we're involved with the, the most important things in this life, and it's the souls of those at this church. Father, we ask for your blessings upon our deacons and upon our staff members as well. We pray that you will uh, uh, help us to, to grow individually and, and spiritually and in service to you. These things we pray through Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper, we'll sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Costner and John Connery, and there was a quote in that movie that really struck a chord with me. Kevin Costner is playing the part of Elliot Ness, and Sean Connery is playing his right-hand man, Jim Morrison, and they're trying to figure out how they can get Al Capone bring him to justice. And Sean Connery asked Elliot Ness or Kevin Costner, he said, what are you prepared to do? Meaning, how, how far are you prepared to go? And I thought about that as us individually. How far are we prepared to go? What are we prepared to do to help our fellow man. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Think about the love that Jesus Christ exemplified. He didn't lay down his life for his friends or those that liked him. He laid down his life for all of us. Whether we were his friends or his enemies or those that tried to kill him. He made that sacrifice once and for all so that all of us have an opportunity to spend time in heaven with him. Pray with me, please. 
Father God, we come before you humbly this morning, thanking you for all the blessings that you give us, thanking you for your decision to send your son Jesus to the cross to take our place against sin. The life he gave up on the cross covered us. And as we partake of this bread, we ask that we might remember that sacrifice. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we go back a chapter to John 14, we see Jesus' promise. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Again, he shed his blood for us to forgive our sins so that we might have a hope of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for Jesus and his sacrifice. We're thankful for the cleansing blood that he shed on the cross that we might have a hope of heaven with him. Please help us to remember that as we partake of this fruit of the vine. In Jesus' name, amen. an opportunity to return some of the uh, worldly things, goods that we have been blessed with. And we ask that as we take this opportunity, that you do so in a manner that's pleasing to God and that it is with a cheerful and loving heart. These funds help to promote the God's word from this city as well as the nation and in the world. Father God, you bless us well, and for that we are indeed thankful. We pray, Father, that you be with us as we return some of the uh, monetary gifts that you give us. And we pray that you would bless it to all the works that we are involved in. In Jesus' name, amen. This time, if you're part of the children's program, may pass to that uh, classroom during the singing of our next song. So before Bill's lesson to us this morning, let's sing Surround Us, O Lord.
Let's all stand as we sing this song. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His service for our brother Stan Mallory this past week and um, and so we continue to pray for God to surround us all and especially those as our shepherd Jay mentioned uh, the list is long of those who have lost loved ones uh, loved ones who mean a great deal to families and certainly loved ones uh, such as our our brother Stan, who mean a great deal to our church family as well. We do pray, surround us, O Lord. We pray that prayer as well in the ongoing work and ministry that's continuing here. I appreciate so much, Cody, the update and the uh, report and all the work uh, that this incredible committee is doing, uh, swimming against the current in many ways. And yet at the same time, knowing full well that our God uh, will bring the right person to our church to lead our youth ministry. And what an encouragement to know that that work continues and that that ministry is ongoing. I uh, appreciate very much all of you who are doing far more uh, than uh, perhaps uh, you're even uh, willing and able to do going far beyond that because of your willingness and, and because of the great need that we have. And we appreciate you so very, very much. Um, and I appreciate uh, all of your prayers. Um, I, if you're watching online, thank you for praying for uh, me and Joyce in our time of uh, COVID exile for uh, 10 days. Thankful for Davy. Carter and Donnie Carnathan, who did such a stellar job subbing for me after being exposed and uh, being uh, able to work and worship from home. I was joining our online brethren, Joyce and I were, uh, last uh, week. And um, so I can tell you, was reminded once again, that when you turn around and wave to the camera, uh, it gets seen. And we wave back. I'm just telling you. You don't see it, but we wave back. And so... Um, uh, we appreciate everyone's participation with us, whether online or here uh, in person. Um, and what a great blessing the technology is that we have. I'm beginning a, um, a series uh, from the book of Romans. This is just brand new this month. And today we find ourselves in the first three chapters with um, a sermon about the bad news. 
And that's exactly what this message uh, focuses on. We end with the good news. But I believe that you can't really appreciate and understand how good the good news is until you appreciate and understand how bad the bad news is and how universal the bad news is. I saw this quote several years ago, and it's from the wonderful, amazing actress, Sophia Loren. Um, And she said this, I should go to heaven, otherwise it's not nice. (laughs) She goes on to say this, I'm not a practicant, but I pray. I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven, otherwise it's not nice. I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is very clean. My soul is as white as those orchids over there, and I should go straight, straight to heaven. Well, I certainly hope and pray that Sophia Loren Loren does get to go to heaven, and I want everyone to do that. But I would beg to differ with her on a couple of points (laughs) that she made there, Um, and specifically that, um, that she is a sinner, as am I like this cartoon that you'll see up on the screen, a group coming to the the preacher uh, saying, in this petition, request changing, quote, sinner, unquote, to, quote, person who is morally challenged. (laughs) Is that a great commentary on our time? We want to soft sell this whole sinner thing. We don't want to acknowledge that I'm a sinner or that we are sinners and try to make it less negative, less serious than it actually is. The truth of the matter is scripture never does that, never does that. Even as we think of how even though we're sinners, we are able to be saved and live eternally Still, it's because God took sin so seriously that that is possible. Because as was already stated earlier during our communion meditation that James led us in, it was while we were still sinners, Romans 5 says, that Christ died for us. Sean McDowell, a great... um, Uh, Bible student and uh, uh, apologetics, Christian evidence author and speaker, uh, wrote this recently. He said, isn't it interesting that we have to remind ourselves to be grateful, but not to be resentful? Resentment comes naturally, but gratitude must be cultivated. And that will be the sermon when we get to Romans chapter 7 that talks about the flesh and how living according to the flesh is destined for uh, defeat and frustration and death. But I think uh, uh, Sean McDowell is exactly right. Resentment comes natural for us because we are carnal. We are physical human beings. And it is that survival of the fittest, whether you're talking about physical or emotional. That's a part of our physical nature, as a species, as human beings. But to overcome that resentment and to focus on the good rather than the bad, to to not focus on the things that people have done that has hurt us, but rather to focus on the one who has done so much for us that is good and undeserved, that takes effort. Gratitude takes effort. Resentment seems to come natural for us. That whole idea of I'm good enough is the lie that Satan tells us to try to convince us we don't need a savior. We don't need saving. I've done enough good in my life, far more than a lot of other people I know, that of course I'll go to heaven. Well, that's nowhere to be found in Scripture. There is great assurance that we will go to heaven. But that is in spite of our 
sinful nature. And it's because of the gift of Jesus Christ. So a few things about who is guilty. (laughs) Good news, right? Who is guilty? First of all, the non-Jews are guilty. Another word for that is the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, Paul only goes 17 verses before he gets to this point. He introduces uh, the resurrection of Jesus and how it declared him with power to be the son of God. He speaks about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how through that gospel, there is made known the righteousness of God that is available, as he's going to say in chapter 3, to all who believe. And then in verse 18, he begins pronouncing guilt. And he pronounces guilt because all have sinned. And he breaks that down into two groups. First of all, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, are guilty. In verse 18 of Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, verse 20, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Yes, the non-Jews, the Gentiles never had the law, But they are without excuse. Why? Because you can tell from creation that there is a creator. And that creator, there are two things he says specifically about him. There is eternal power and divine nature. I'm not God. And everybody can know that. And because of that, I must not worship myself or any other created thing, I must seek the one who has divine power, who has an eternal divine nature. And that can be clearly seen from the creation. Many of the Psalms bring that out as well. Without a word, they testify the creation. All the created things testify to a creator. Verse 21, he gets more specific. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They worshiped the creature rather than the creator. That included worshiping themselves. And that's verses 24 and following. Therefore, God gave them over. That term, God gave them over, is found three times in these verses. And it should scare us all to death to think that a person can get to a point in their lives where they are so opposed to God, so opposed to worshiping creator, rather than self and creation, that God will give them over to do just that. And yet he will. And Paul says that he did. Again, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Verse 25, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, verse 26, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. No matter what our society says, no matter what our culture says, sexual immorality is wrong. It's a sin. 
whether you're talking about sexual immorality between opposite sexes, between a man and a woman, or sexual immorality between same-sex relationships, it is sinful. It is condemned in Scripture, and this is one of those passages that condemns it. Furthermore, verse 28, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. And this is where Paul leaves preaching and goes to meddling. (laughs) Because for most all of us, the sins he's talked about so far may not be the ones that we primarily struggle with, but I'm here to tell you that what he says from here on out is every bit as horrible of a sin in the eyes of a holy God as what he's already mentioned. And we forget that but it's the truth. Verse 29, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they knew God's righteous decree, verse 32, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. And this is not a complete list, obviously. The non-Jews are guilty. And as Paul goes on his mission journeys, he has opportunities to preach first to Jews in the synagogue, but then to non-Jews out in the community. And we see that especially in two great passages, in Acts 14 and in Acts 17. In Acts 14, he's in the areas of Lystra and Derbe, kind of in the south-central part of modern-day Turkey. But in Acts chapter 17, he's at the Areopagus in Athens. And in both cases, he speaks to non-Jews. And he doesn't quote Old Testament scripture. They don't care about Old Testament scripture. But what he does tell them is what he has already said here. That there is a God and that creation should worship and serve creator. And that God is worthy of our worship. And it is through that God that we live and move and have our very being, as he says in Acts 17 quoting some of their own poets and writers in his sermon. And so when we fail to do that, Scripture says God gave them over. If they were intent on worshiping and serving themselves and their lusts and their evil nature, rather than the God who created them, God would give them over to do that. Again, there's no good sins and bad sins in this list. They're all bad. And they all are seen in the same light by a holy and righteous God. None of these sins is okay. None of these sins you can say, look at it and say, well, that's not so bad. Gossip, it's not so bad. Slander, that's not so bad. They're all equal in the eyes of God. The non-Jews are guilty. Secondly, the Jews are guilty. As, as this letter is being read to the church at Rome, I'm sure they were thinking, well, you know, we have, if you're sitting there and you're a, a Jewish Christian, you're thinking, uh, yeah, amen, brother, preach on. Get those Gentiles. <laughs> and then in chapter 2, he says, now let's talk about us. Because he himself was a Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee even, a persecutor of the church. But he kept the law during that time, kept it as well as anybody. And then he says things like this in Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. That's the non-Jews. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. That's the Jews. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. When they love their neighbor as themselves, for example, 
even though there's no strict command from Leviticus 19 verse 18 for them to do that, they are blessed. But what Paul is saying is, yeah, we have the book of Leviticus, but we haven't kept it. And we too are guilty. Verse 15, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their conscience is also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. And then in Romans 2 verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Verse 27, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision, you are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. We see examples of this as Peter is sent to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And the first Gentile family is converted to Jesus Christ because they receive the Holy Spirit in an extraordinary way just as they did in Acts chapter 2, because it took an extraordinary measure for them to know that this was the fulfillment of the prophecies God had promised. In Acts 15, as they meet together in the Jerusalem conference, they talk about whether they should require the law of these non-Jews that are now Christians. And the answer comes back, why would we do such a thing? Why would we require them to obey a law that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to keep? We are all guilty because we are all sinners. In Luke chapter 7 and chapter 18, there are a couple of incidents in the life of Jesus. Some in his teaching of a parable and another instance where he's anointed by a sinful woman. And a good Jew that's watching resents her for it and resents Jesus for accepting it. Paul himself understood what it meant to be forgiven. Even though he was a Jew, acting in good conscience, he was wrong. And he was accountable. And he called himself the chief, the worst of sinners in 1 Timothy 1. And I want to say today that as we look at these two groups, the non-Jews and the Jews, I think we may be more like the Jewish Christians addressed here than the Gentile Christians. Because we have this law of liberty that has set us free from the law of sin and death, as Paul will call it in Romans chapter 8. We have it. But do we keep it? Do we live this way? Because I might adapt a little bit of what Paul said and tell us a Christian is not a Christian who is just one who does it outwardly, just by the written word. But a Christian is one who's transformed their heart and who is following their God from their heart, not perfectly, but faithfully, genuinely, sincerely, humbly, gratefully. Until I recognize that my sins make me just as guilty as anyone else, I will never fully understand and appreciate grace. And that's why chapters 1 and 2 come before chapter 3. At least the last half of chapter 3. I will never treat others with the respect, consideration, and love with which they should be treated, with which Jesus treats them and us. Unless I recognize that I too am a sinner. The non-Jews are guilty, the Jews are guilty. And then in the first part of chapter 3, he says this, There is none that is righteous, no, not even one. Not even one. In Romans chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, he says this. Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? In other words, if my sinfulness glorifies God, then why are you mad at me? 
Verse 8, why not say, Paul says in response to this, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. He's going to say more about that, as you know, in the beginning of chapter 6, when he says, should we continue on sinning so that grace might increase? That's exactly the argument that he alludes to here. Simply because we're all sinners and there's not a single one of us that's righteous doesn't give us permission to continue to sin as if God is glorified in our sinfulness. He's not. He's not. And then we read on in Romans 3, beginning at verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage, speaking of Jewish Christians? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that the Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul quoting from Isaiah chapter 59 and other passages, including several of the Psalms in this very passage. There is none that is righteous. No, not even one. With apologies to Sophia Loren, (laughs) there is none that is righteous. No, not even one. You're not better than any other sinner nor am I. And we must, we must recognize that all have sinned, that there is none that is righteous, not even one. Well, how is this good news? You say, boy, Bill, thanks for the buildup today. Man, whew, this is, this is one, I, I need to get the CD on this one because boy, I... I, I, whenever I'm down, I want to hear how horrible I am. That's a great sermon right there. And if that's where this stopped, that would be true. But that's not where it stops. God is more, you see, than nice. He is just and he is merciful. His justice demands that he deal with sin and he did. His mercy moved him to sacrifice his own son. Jesus, keep me near the cross. That's our prayer. Because that's the only place where we can find forgiveness. That's the only place that offers life. Jesus, keep me near the cross. And so all of this, Romans 1 through 3 verse 20 leads up to this great passage that we'll look at more next week, beginning in verse 21 of Romans 3. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Why? There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Why not? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, verse 24, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That, my friends, is the gospel. That is the good news. The bad news is the non-Jews are guilty, the Jews are guilty, there is none that is righteous, not even one, including me. But because of that, There is a righteousness that comes from God, not from me. To all who believe, because all have sinned and fall short, and all are justified freely by his grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there is victory. But there is only victory in Jesus. When we hear that wonderful old, old story and we respond in faith, I heard an old, old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his cleansing, his his healing, his cleansing power revealing 
And so I repented of my sins. And I won the victory. But only, only in Jesus. This morning, if you want that victory in Jesus, we're here to help you find it. Come as we stand and sing this great hymn together. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood's atoning Then I repented of my sins And won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior in our closing prayer. What a great, great old, old story. Father, we are ashamed that you had to go to such an extent to bring about our forgiveness because there is none of us that is righteous, no, not even one. And yet, Father, you loved us just the same, even more, and gave your son while we were still sinners to die for us. Father, we praise you and we're grateful and we pray that as we respond in faith and are buried with Christ through baptism into death and raised to live a new life, that we will live that new life faithfully, that we will live that new life with gratitude to honor you, to serve others. And we look forward, Father, to that time when we will be together for eternity, celebrating our great victory in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.